Welcome to She's in Control with your host Sally. She's in Control is a podcast that brings to light inspiring stories of Arab women. Every Sunday, we invite you to join us as we delve into the life of impactful Arab women who has made significant contributions in fields such as sports, business, art, culture, or politics. Today, I'm so excited to introduce the second interview with an inspiring Egyptian woman, Salma Ali, who will share to us her journey, including two major turning points in her life, a car accident and the death of her mother due to cancer. She's going also to introduce to us Sanat for Cancer, a communication platform she has launched for cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. Hi, Salma. First of all, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to be on Choosing Control podcast today. Hi, Sally. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure as well. And to start, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. So I'm Salma Ali. I'm 23 years old. I'm an Egyptian uh, construction engineer. I used to study construction engineering and now I'm doing my master's in construction engineering and I'm also working. Actually, my life, I feel that I'm 23 years old, but maybe uh, uh, as in from experience, I'm a bit older than that. Yes, we're going to talk about all the turning points you, you faced uh, in your life so far. Before talking about these turning points, I wanted to start asking you, how was your childhood? What type of uh, teenager were you and uh, what kind of memories do you have? So my life before the accident, it was a very normal, happy childhood with both my father and my mother. Yani the, the childhood and raising me and the upbringing was very uh, normal, uh, nothing major. We lived in two countries. Yani we, first, we lived in London for a while, and then we moved and we lived in, a, in an Arab country, yani in the Gulf, one of the Gulf countries. And I grew up there for a while. My school was there. And it was the, you know, the community was closed and we were fine. Not much was happening. But my mother was very special to me. Me and my mother had a very special relationship together. Yani. She gave me so much love, uh, so much comfort. And actually, the way she talked to me as if I was like a, a grown-up. We had many discussions when we were young. We also had small responsibilities that we were responsible of. So actually, we were away from our family, and our family used to live in Egypt, and we used to live in Qatar. So uh, it was like me, my father, and my brother, and my mother only in Qatar. So we had to make our community, we had to make our friends, and we were away from our relatives. So we were also responsible of much more things. We, we made the, a nice community out of it, but there wasn't like anything dramatic. So I would say it, it was like a happy childhood. A bit of not very normal, actually, we weren't in Egypt, but we had like uh, many workarounds or things to make us be comfortable and be happy and just adapt with the surroundings. We used to go out in the weekends, uh, sometimes we used to travel with, uh, with other people to resorts, so actually I'd say, uh, no, we had fun yani, during our childhood. Amazing. Thank you, Salma, for explaining and giving some details about your childhood. I just have a few additional questions. How old were you when you moved to Qatar from London? I was very young, so I did 
from KG1 to grade 6, I was in Qatar. So in London, I was like one year old. And then my whole big chunk of my childhood was in Qatar. And then we moved to Egypt. Okay. And during your stay in Qatar, do you feel like you were different or there were like a, a cultural uh, differences between uh, Qatar and Egypt? Uh, at that time, I didn't feel, because my mom and my father, we all had the Egyptian roots. And of course, our friends were Egyptian and other nationalities. But uh, we cooked Egyptian food. Uh, the Yani community, most of them were Egyptian. Nothing was very weird. And we as a family, we were very close. We always talked. Uh, yani, we always went to Egypt in the summer. Not only in the summer, but we also have uh, other vacations. We used to go to Egypt. So there wasn't like a big uh, gap. And we were actually, yani, uh, we weren't the kids that were shy and they didn't do anything. And sometimes people get the cultural shock when they move from the, from the Gulf countries to Egypt when they're in their adulthood. But actually, we didn't experience this as much. I don't know. It was about the upbringing was different. Actually, we had uh, different acquaintances with different nationalities and different people. So we didn't have this big cultural thing. But I remember that also my mom had a like, health issue when we were in Qatar. And she also, um, when we were in school, Yani, I was in grade three. Before she got diagnosed with anything, in grade three, she had like a lung issue. And she traveled to Paris. And we got back to Egypt with my grandma when she was okay. We got back to Qatar then. When I came back to Egypt, there wasn't that huge cultural uh, shock or the big difference due to the community, the upbringing, and actually our characters, and we used to get exposed to different things. Okay, so from my understanding, you had to came back to, to Egypt during the time your mom wasn't okay, and then you returned to Qatar, and then you returned in Egypt to stay there, right? Yes. And why did your parents uh, want to, to return to Egypt? Actually, my, my parents always had that thing that we need to spend time with our grandparents and they won't be there for a long while. We also need to give back to our country. My father used to work as an engineer in a, like a multinational company. And then he wanted to come back and make his own business. Uh, we wanted to give back to our family, to our, to their parents, to our community and our country. And they didn't want us to be very detached to our, to the country, Annie. So we thought about coming back. Yeah, I totally understand because uh, even uh, me, you know, for the people who listened, uh, they know that I live in Paris. My uh, my parents are Egyptian, but they always say we need to return one day uh, to Egypt and live there. And I can understand because uh, they are Egyptian. They grew up there. They have a lot of memories. I don't have like the same experience because I was born in France and I have lived like, let's say, maybe 10 years in Egypt. 18 years in France, so my background and the experience was different. But sometimes I feel like I need to come back to Egypt. I'm curious to see the changes there. I also want to visit my extended family. Oh, uh, yes, I totally understand you. But you've almost lived like more than half of your life in France. So I could imagine it would be very hard. And the acquaintances, all your friends and all, Yanni, are, are in France. 
it's very it's very hard because so i think in in my place of course my parents had much more memories in egypt but we also uh, i don't know if, if it was implanted in us or it was in, in our roots but we also loved egypt i don't know yani we wanted to get back and we weren't like confused about the the, the thing i enjoyed being in egypt a lot my brother also did but at first he was also a bit older he had much more nicer memories in qatar so he was like a bit not sure but of course he he enjoyed in egypt but i know the confusion it's very hard uh, moving between countries especially when you're older yes yes it's so you know unstable like when i remember my childhood i was born in france okay and i moved to egypt uh, to start kitchen etc and then i moved to france and i came back to egypt so it was a lot of uh, back and forth during the education period and it was so unstable you know to build like a stable friendship to adapt to different cultures but of course uh, i have like a great memories about uh, Egypt vacation there I have also some friends but I understand in your case you were in Qatar and Qatar is also like an Arabic country so there were not like a big uh, let's say adaptation process or a big uh, cultural differences yes I understand you so much yeah yes exactly maybe this was part of it and also they speak in Arabic but you know sometimes I don't know why people other people sometimes when they move out of the country they speak with their kids in English and No, 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 it wasn't in their family that nowhere in the house we speak in Arabic. But we can speak in English in the school or in any other place, Yani. So, yeah, I got I understand your point and with your parents also that they wanted to implant these roots. Sometimes, you know, uh, it's very hard moving from one place to another. Whether you're a kid and whether you're a child, it also affects us. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And do you think what affects you? Did it change your uh, personality uh, moving uh, between, you know, London? I know London, you were like uh, not very old, but uh, moving between London, Qatar and Egypt. I wouldn't say it was unstable, but I would say that also it made us a bit different. So we weren't the typical family that used to live in Egypt and go to their their grandparents on Friday. We only spend henna the vacation وكذا, and we also get back got back to to Qatar. So I would say the difference is adapting. It made me more adapting to the change. We were more responsible maybe as in there weren't like too much family around us. My mom also did so much uh, of the cooking and the cleaning and going to the school and making new acquaintances. Uh, and she also was very keen on making friends. Uh, our neighbors were our friends. I think it's all about adapting made us adapt to different environments and we had we had yani we had to use the environment to fit and to, to be happy and to, um, and to live actually i would say it wasn't unstable but it was a bit different allowed us to adapt i can relate uh, because also living between uh, france and egypt helped me to develop this uh, adaptation skills and this is something i apply you know on a personal side but also in a professional work environment exactly exactly so we can also go to different works you can meet different managers so you need to adapt yes 100% so i wanted to to move to the next section and i'm sorry it's not gonna be like easy part for you but 
I wanted to discuss first turning point. You're 16 years old and you did a car accident. So the, my first question to you is, could you please explain uh, how did that happen and your journey when you did that accident? Okay, so uh, sure. I was 16 years old and um, it was like a Thursday, a very normal Thursday. I used to finish school. I was in Chaifet, so I used to finish school. And then I used to go out with my friends. But this Thursday, I, yani, I went to my grandmother's house. So she used to live in Sheikh Zayed, which is the, like very far from Tagama, if you're in Egypt. So we need to, we need to get, the, get on the highway. So uh, I finished school and then I went into the car. And then I used to sleep in the car. Yani. So uh, suddenly I was sleeping and uh, the driver was driving and I was going. Suddenly the car... I don't know what happened, but I think we bumped into the concrete barriers on the highway and it flipped and I was actually sleeping. So uh, maybe I couldn't maneuver how to move. I was totally injured. My face, all my face was like stitches everywhere. My, my arm was like about to be amputated. I did many surgeries of skin grafts. Uh, and then uh, after it became okay, I did Bordeaux, uh, like plastic surgeries in Paris. I was injured. Oh, yani, I broke many bones. It was something actually very uh, impactful. When you're in a near-death experience, it affects each and everything. The way you think, the, the people you know, the, what you want to do, your future plans, the people around you. So it was actually life-changing. You know, the image that I remember is when I was lying on the floor, covered with blood and many people around me and the, and the ambulance noise. When I remember at that time, I thought it was like a dream because I was sleeping. And, and no, of course, it's not happening to me. And of course, denial, yani. I wanted to stand and I wanted to leave. I wanted to go home. I was like, no, no, there's nothing. So how much time did it take the healing process overall? Oh my God, it was a journey actually. So you need to heal mentally and you need to heal physically. So it was too much. I wouldn't heal without my, the support of my family and my friends. My mom, she used to do everything. I think it took like a couple of months, maybe six months. I did one surgery. I did multiple surgeries in Egypt, healing the bones, the plates and the, the titanium plates and the, those things. And then I also I removed skin. I did skin grafts. So I removed skin from my body to put them in my, on my arm. And then I did stitches all over my face. My hand then got infected. So I also needed to do other things. So I'd say my healing journey of physically of my hand and my body about three, four months, yeah. And then I needed to do, of course, physiotherapy in order to, main, yeah, need to maintain the motion. So my mom used to drive me to the physio sessions. She used to drive me also to the doctor's office, of course. So in order that I would be okay physically, I think it had like five to six months, maybe. Okay, so five to six months to start, let's say, your physical um, healing. And what about your psychology? What emotions did you feel during that journey? The, of course, we, we're going to also discuss like your support system and how uh, you overcame that. So mentally, no, it was very hard. It was very hard accepting and processing 
that once you are fine and suddenly you're in a car, car accident and you're about to die. I know it's very hard for a 16 years old to process this. Actually, I didn't, yani, I was fine. I was just overwhelmed. Yani, I spent like the first two days, I didn't even say a word. I was shocked. So I'd say I was shocked and I was overwhelmed. Those were the feelings. And then the, the feelings that I had after is like, no, I'm going to be fine. Uh, I'm strong. I'm going to overcome this. Yani, after a while, I had like a mini PTSD. It was like, I used to recall the memories of the of the accident. So my sleep wasn't that good. So I had to do like, I used to talk about the experience. Uh, understand it from different people, read about PTSD. And then it, it started my healing yani, journey. But of course, at first, it was all about I was shocked and I was overwhelmed and I was in denial. No, this is not happening to me. Yeah, I can totally understand. So you had this first emotions, uh, feeling overwhelmed. Did you feel anger? Because I imagine, you know, you're 16 years old. I think it's like the, the gold years, you know, when you grow up and you, you, you want to live like a normal life. Did you feel like this anger and why you, you know, why you are not someone else? Maybe it came in a form. I wouldn't say pure anger, but I was a bit questioning, you know, why did this happen? Why? And of course, this left me with a huge scar on my arm. Uh, till now, Yanni, but uh, now I'm... Uh, I'm in peace with my scar. But I was questioning it. And here came the role of my mother and father. And they, they were always like, you're a different girl. Um, what happened to you is a different thing. But I'm sure that it will make you a different character. So it came from here that uh, I felt that how can I use this? And how can I learn from it? And how can this allow me to grow and not only be scarred of it? Hmm. Amazing. How uh, this accident changed you in terms of way of thinking, maybe what you prioritize in life? Uh, uh, how did you grow as a person? So, of course, it changed me a lot, starting from prioritizing what I want in life. And one day you're going to die in a, in a second. So you need to do the things that you actually want to do. I wasn't, my friends were always there and I always, I always had the same, yani, the same friends. Alhamdulillah, I wasn't alone, but I tricked in my friends. Were, what, the things that changed is putting things into perspective. Yani, knowing when to worry and when to not worry. Knowing when this is a big thing and this is not a very big thing. So reacting to, to things in life. Sometimes we tend to overact, we tend to overthink, we tend to overworry. We are very anxious about things that are actually, they won't happen, Aslan. Yani, this event allowed me to, to slow down and to know the proper reaction to the proper events and how to put everything in perspective. It also allowed me to, um, to put my time in productive things. We need like a reminder that we're leaving or we need a reminder that we need to do things that we want actually to do and not do because of the pressure around us. So uh, my studies, my career, my friends, my family, I started to prioritize everything. And it also made me feel that time is important. We need to manage our time and uh, we're not here forever. A connection with you and God. So this was also 
built and then I started saying okay so this happened so I need to benefit from it so what I've benefited from it is like alhamdulillah I've healed from a very uh, difficult thing now I know that anything will pass anything will be much smaller it gave me so much strength bravery courage so I think when I look back and I see that I've passed this I'd say no I can pass anything you know everything becomes a bit smaller at first I I didn't like my scar of course I used to wear long sleeves my swimsuits I used to wear swimsuits but I used to to wrap my arm with a bandage and then I like at a point in time I said no and no it's a part of me it, it also reminded me that I'm strong and I fought this battle so uh, no it's a sign of strength and now no I'm in total peace with my scar yeah I really find uh, this uh, bravery and courage as you mentioned I just wanted to talk quickly about the support system you you had so of course you mentioned your family and your friends how uh, did your parents uh, react at first how they help you to overcome that period of course support systems are important uh, we're not born to live alone and adapt alone no we need people and we need support my my mother was was very supportive but actually when she received the news at first she couldn't handle it um and she was shocked also and she was very scared and she's like no what happened uh, uh, and when she saw me she was shocked also So maybe this wasn't very uh, for the very first uh, action that you want to see from people. She couldn't handle it. My mom was very, yani, gave me support in the in the steps after to heal. She was always with me in the doctor's offices. She was always with me telling me that you're beautiful. You're going to to make it. Uh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. You're strong, you're beautiful, you're different, you're unique. words of affirmation on a tool i wouldn't have have made it without her my father's first reaction was for me better he was uh, a bit still and he was like okay alhamdulillah it's fine he absorbed the shock a little bit so he made me a bit calm and he was like no you'll be okay and and that's the thing that i wanted to hear i i knew it but i wouldn't want to see someone in shock in front of me So at that time I used to say to my mother that no no I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm the one that was going to say it. At first my father no he was still and he was calm so he transferred this to me. And also he he yani he was always there but telling me I'm sure that you're going to be different because uh, you've experienced different things and uh, you're lucky you're lucky that uh, God gave you this. You're going to grow so much out of it. And actually when you believe in this and you and you experience things the way you react is how you're responsible for it خلاص we're destiny to something and it's out of our control but the way we react to things it's is not out of our control we we can develop from it. yeah absolutely 100% and i feel it's uh, it's good to that you had this uh, balance between your mom's reaction and your dad's uh, reaction and i can relate because you know my mom is like your mom when we face uh, challenging situations and for example like my uh, 
my little brother, um, he had an accident, a moto accident. So I wasn't uh, there at that time. I was in Canada during uh, an Erasmus and no one told me, you know, because she, they didn't want me to, to be stressed or to not handle the situation. So no one told me. Um, and he stayed a uh, few months in coma. It was very, very uh, difficult time. It was scary, but from what my sisters told me, etc. She told me that, of course, at the beginning, it was like a disaster for my mom. And it was really difficult to, to, to manage her emotions and her fear. But it took her some time. But after she developed that resilience, you know, and this uh, ability to accept what's going on. And of course, rely on her connection also to God and praying. That helped her a lot. Yes, so much it does. So you had this car accident at uh, 16 years old. You, you took, uh, let's say, almost or more than six months to, to heal. And you continued your life. A few years later, uh, you had to face a second turning point when your mom was diagnosed with cancer. Could you explain the context, you know, what you, you just faced? Like, has anyone in your family ever had cancer? Uh, were there any risk factors? Khalas, I recovered. I graduated from school with distinction, got into engineering. I'm doing very good. My friends, my social life, um, my education. And then when I was 20, suddenly my mom got diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And she was young. She was like 40, um, 47 or 47 and a half. And no, no risk factors. So she wasn't obese and she, was, she didn't smoke. And there weren't people in her family with cancer. It was very shocking. Yani, I was the first one to get the report. And then I was like, I read things that I don't understand. And I don't want to understand. So you were the first person to know. Yes. And what, what did you feel uh, at that time when you received uh, this news? Complete shock, complete denial. I don't want to accept it. I don't understand what's written. I don't want to understand. No, and I was, no, no, it was very hard. Um, and no one wants to believe what's happening. It all showed in our faces. But my mom was like, no, no, there's nothing. And just close the report. It's nothing. He was like, I'm okay. And, and there was a very different vibe in this. My mom was very strong and she transferred this to me. And she was like, I'm fine. I'm good. And you know, even if it's this, it's going to be a, a small thing and it's going to pass. And, and my mom also didn't know the full picture. So it was stage four pancreatic cancer. But she, she also thought that it was like a, it was like a, no, it was like stage two or something. And it was like, I knew the full picture and my, also my family did, but my, yani my, my grandma didn't know. And, but we, Bardu we started to fight. We started the journey and we we're like, no, we're going to, to handle this and we're not going to stop our life because of this disease. Uh, we're going to do the, our chemo, but we're also going to travel. We're also going to do surgeries, but we're also going to have fun. And we did this actually. So we didn't stop our lives until uh, we're done with the chemo or until we're done with the radio. We, no, we continued everything. But of course, with many workarounds, I had to like take classes from the hospital. I had to 
take exams from the hospital, change uh, dates for exams. It's very hard, but I'm saying to everyone who's fighting cancer that it's doable if you feel that you can do it. And it's all about your mindset and how you see it. So it's very, very, very hard. But when you see that you, you have no option, either you're going to just say, in my life is going to end and we're going to die. And you don't have any option. Our decision was to continue our lives because we want to live, whether we're, you're going to live one year or 20 years, and then we're all going to die. But what, what you're going to fill your life with? So so the journey, when I get back to it, no, it has nice memories. And of course, it has painful memories. But there are nice memories, even nice memories in the hospital. Yeah, as you mentioned, I think this is a mindset. What I found very real is, uh, you know, when you mentioned, uh, you talked about your car accident, you said you didn't realize you were in a denial. You tried, you know, to reassure your mom because she was very anxious and stressed about you because, of course, you are her daughter. So in the case of your mom, you were more, let's say, stressed and worried because your mom was in that situation and you were trying to reassure her and she was okay with the fact. So she accepted and she wasn't, she didn't have the same anxiety when it was her disease, her case, you know what I mean? Then how much did it take her journey with cancer? You know, so pancreatic cancer survival rates are very low. And we were told that she's going to live weeks after her diagnosis. Literally weeks. But with this morale, she lived like three years. It's the mindset and, and, and we didn't stop treatments, actually. Yani people and doctors were saying like, Yani, you can try it, but it's, it won't be very effective. You can stop treatments if you want. Even if the statistics or the numbers aren't very good, sometimes what you feel and what you believe actually impacts uh, the, the, the person and the people around them. And the love, all, all these things affect actually the patient and the cancer. Of course, of course, the support system. What you said, uh, Salma, is that you try to enjoy every time as a family, traveling, at the same time continue the treatment. Did you were like prepared mentally to the hypothesis that your mom will uh, pass away or... No, of course I wasn't prepared. And I didn't like to think about it. No, th this was like, I knew everything about the disease and I knew it was terminal. But I also had the belief, no, that maybe something, the diagnosis m might not be very correct. Maybe something magical will happen. But I did therapy at that time. So I think that would kept me sane and that would kept me on. Yani. But um, no, I, I always like had this thought and I was like, no, no, it's not going to happen. Yani, we try, it's like a defense mechanism that we try to protect ourselves from something we're scared of by saying, no, it would never happen. Yeah, so you tried also to, to keep that hope that maybe she can be better, maybe the, she, she can find cancer. And you mentioned that also you took some therapy sessions. How therapy sessions uh, helps you? It helped me a lot because, um, you know, my mom didn't know the full picture. So there was, you know, there needs to be like a person who you can vent everything and you can... Caregivers also in cancer, people who provide care for cancer patients, they're very affected and they also need care and they also need support in order to give for the people around them. 
I was drained, of course. Yani, I did my studies and I was always in the hospitals. And, and when she was very uh, tired at the end, I used to, to give her the injections and to give her the, um, the IVs. And so, no, it was painful. So I need someone in order to, to get out the things, the thoughts that I'm anxious of in order to continue. Yeah. You had this period with your mom when you, you tried, all the family tried to, to fight and to continue your, the life in a normal way. And then you unfortunately lost your mom. What did you feel at that time? And how did you overcome that period? Despite what you were going through, how did you continue to excel in your studies, start a master degree and a new job? Even if you know that... Uh... Yani, your mom is has a terminal. Even if you know that, it's always surprising to know the news. So my mom was in the hospital and she was like on a ventilator for one day. We all knew that she's in a very um, like a bad case, but um, the news is always shocking. Electrifying is like no way that's not happening. And and I know no my because my mom was a very uh, special person to me. So so I thought that my life is going to end. And everything is going to end, and I would not be happy again, and I would not, I couldn't live again, and I won't do anything. And um, so this, we all, we all get this feeling, but I actually got it, and it was in me. But um, grieving is very strange, and it comes and it goes, and there are many stages. I tried to say that, uh, and no, she wouldn't, um, and she's around, and she wouldn't want me to to live in a in a box and with everything um, closed and not doing anything in my life. So I started filling my day with many things in order to distract myself. That is not it. It's a defense mechanism. It's not very useful on the long term because at the end of the day, you also need to show and also need to pass and allow your, acknowledge your feelings. Yani, it was my coping mechanism for a while. I used to go to work. I, I said that I need to fill my time. So let's start the master's that I wanted to start when she was um, sick. I used to take courses. I used to go out. I wanted to fill my day in order when I come back home, I would sleep only. And I wouldn't think about anything. But I also continued therapy. So therapy was like where I acknowledge and allow to feel my feelings. That was my coping mechanism that I need to, to, to be distracted and be productive in order to, to handle this and just pass this period. I wouldn't have passed it without this thing. Yani. So then I I just took like one week off and then I got back to work because um, you always have that feeling that um, nothing will continue, but the, nothing stops. Even if what happens, your, your life continues. Sometimes you're very frustrated, you know, how? No, we need. We all need to stop doing what we're doing. But no, life life doesn't uh, stop. Here's where where adapting comes into place. You know, it's very hard, but I started adapting and I started going back to going back to the routine. It's very useful. It fills you up, and then I started to fill my day with activities. And I had, of course, along the side, the support of my uh, family and friends, and it was essential. Yeah, you, you know, Salma, you've been through a lot of uh, hard moments and sometimes you, you don't even realize that you, you can like go through a lot of things and difficult things. You know, when it happens, first of all, you feel like you're overwhelmed, that 
this is too much, that maybe you don't deserve that. So the, there is like the denial, then you have the healing process, then you have the acceptance part and you just move on. So it's crazy to see like, maybe when you had your car accident, you thought this is like the end of the world. But then you had like the disease of your mom and then the loss. So it was difficult. But as you mentioned, this adaptation tools that you developed during your childhood also help you to overcome these very hard moments. Yes, exactly. You know, we always see bad things as like it's the end of the world and we're not going to overcome it. And we're No, but everyone has the strength to overcome anything that is given to him. So if we believe in that, we're going to overcome this. Yeah, and I think you said something very beautiful. Uh, you said that you kind of wanted to pay tribute to your mother by doing the master she wanted you to, to do. And I want to jump to Sanat for cancer. I want to leave you the floor maybe to introduce it, uh, introduce this platform for the audience and explain what is like the vision and the mission of uh, Sanat for cancer. Okay, of course. So let me like uh, say that uh, what helped me overcome actually the loss and the grief in this is helping people and helping cancer patients. So I used to volunteer in a cancer institution to help others, to help other ladies in the chemo. And then I thought about why not do something to help others. And also, I believe that it helps me So uh, maybe because at that time I wanted to, to know other people in the journey. I wanted to know what about their experience, how they're doing, how they're supporting their families. What's the best effective way to help uh, patients or cancer patients? What to do and what not to do, what to say and what not to say. And I didn't find many things. Like I used to search people on Instagram who have cancer. Maybe their moms do uh, ask them questions. So I started like saying maybe I can do something, which is Sanad. So Sanad is support. Sanad is um, like a platform on Instagram uh, done mainly to support the mental wellness of cancer patients, their caregivers and the survivors. So it's a place which connects all the community of cancer people or and their caregivers to share their stories, to motivate each other, uh, where cancer survivors can also inspire others. When you share your stories, you'll feel that you're not alone. And sometimes people who get cancer, they feel that I'm the only one who gets cancer. Howard, how can I deal with my life and how can I get on with my life? So sometimes you can share, relate. Uh, survivors can take on and motivate others. They can give motivation in uh, talks. We, we want to grow our community and we want people to share their stories in order to benefit from each other. Sometimes you, you want support, but you want support from people who can feel you, who can understand that, uh, Yani, I have chemo tomorrow to who can understand this feeling, who can understand what to do and what not to do. Other things, like there's like a cosmetic chat box for ladies. What did you do when your hair fell out? Uh, from where did you get your first wig? So it's all for the mental wellness for all the cancer community. They're patient, and we also connect them with therapists, psychologists, and cancer patients all for free. Uh, and we also do like videos from cancer coaches and psychologists to help them along the journey. 
what to do when you're diagnosed, what to say to your kids and what not to say. We've launched like one month ago, so it's still new. And we want to help grow our community. We want cancer pa patients and their caregivers to share our stories, to share their stories in order to benefit from each other. And that's our mission. And I feel that God gave my mom this disease and for a reason and for a message. So I thought that this message is benefiting others and giving Sanad and support for them. Like when I, at that time, I wanted this support. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful because uh, you faced and you lived that situation with your mom. So you're like one of the best person positioned to, to, to talk about it and also to, to build a community around that. Notice like a gap and you're trying to fill it with, uh, with Sanad. Uh, I just have a question regarding Sanad. Is the platform limited to Egypt or? No, it's an Instagram platform called Sanad for Cancer. It's not limited to Egypt. Anyone can follow it and anyone can, can follow the, the support Senate gives. And uh, later on, we're going to do collaborations with different um, hope-giving uh, campaigns in order not to give only Senate for cancer, but also give Senate for other people, for other diseases and other things, other tough things in life. But it's going to start on with cancer. So uh, we just need people to just uh, follow Senate for Cancer on Instagram and help grow our community in order to, to make a greater impact. Amazing. We're almost at the end of uh, the podcast episode, so I wanted maybe to uh, leave you the floor to share with us a last message you want to deliver um, and to share today or maybe an advice for the audience who is listening to us. So from my personal experience, I would say that we as people are equipped with many things, many skills that can help us overcome each and everything we face. And how can we use this and channel it into growth and strength? So I think when you're, you're just going through a very tough period or you've been through a diagnosis, you've, you've lost someone you love, you've lost the job, you've lost anything, you just try to change your mindset and you just try to believe in yourself and um, change it that every, everything happens for a reason. And how can you use this thing in order to benefit yourself and the people around you? This is uh, very inspiring. Thank you so much, uh, Salma. It was uh, a true pleasure having this conversation together today and uh, get to know your impressive uh, journey. I would like to express our gratitude to our listeners. Uh, your support and engagement mean the world to us. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider uh, subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing it with your friends. Your feedback keeps us going. I also have a small request. If you are an Arab woman and you want to share your own story like Salma, your challenges, your success through our platform, you can DM me on the podcast Instagram page, she.is.in.control. I will also share in the episode description, uh, sign up for cancer Instagram page, so you can follow and join this amazing community. Looking forward to meeting you next Sunday to share with you another inspiring story, which I hope you will like. See you next week.